But then my mother said, she said, if I had known, I would have had an abortion. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an Ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for Not Parent Expected or Non-Paternal Event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 138. Yesterday, I participated in a mindfulness practice specifically for MPEs or people that have had a misattributed parentage experience, and I wanted to share about it for a minute or two in case you are interested in participating next month. This was put on by Right to Know, as in you have the right to know. Their website is righttoknow.us, and this particular event was called Community and Connection. Now, this is not one of their recorded Zoom events. This was a private almost more therapeutic event that they put on yesterday. If you're interested in attending one of these, you can go to the righttoknow.us website and click on the events tab or the events link. And you should see for every month, they will have a community and connection webinar. So this was mindfulness and it was put on by Jason Hobbs, who is a licensed clinical social worker. And he also is an NPE. And he brought us through a body scan and then talked about disenfranchised grief. And in the body scan, most importantly, he just reminded us to pay attention to the present moment without judgment. And that was especially helpful to me as we were scanning through the different sections of our body is to just just notice the itch, notice the comfort or discomfort, notice the the clothing against the skin, and not necessarily to have judgment about it or to want to fix anything. It was a really nice mindfulness practice. I would definitely do it again if they ever have him on again. And then after our body scan, he went over disenfranchised grief, which is something many of us as NPEs feel. I have spoken about it before, but just a reminder that disenfranchised grief is when it's, it's feeling grief. It's feeling sad. But it's when you don't feel you have the legitimate right to that because no one's actually died. And he reminded us we absolutely have a legitimate right to feel that grief and to feel that loss and to go through the stages of grief because an NPE is, in fact, experiencing disenfranchised grief. He also spoke about ambiguous loss and all of these things you can find. You can certainly Google about them. There's a lot more information these days about this topic. So thank you so much, Right to Know, for putting that on. I also had one more call for a volunteer, and not for me. I don't need the volunteer, but it is for Right to Know, and I said I would mention it briefly. One of the founders of Right to Know, Alicia Weiss, is looking for a volunteer coordinator 
who has skills in nursing or social services, but is also an NPE. She kind of needs a sidekick, someone willing to help her out. So if you are an NPE and you have nursing or social services and you'd like to volunteer in the community, please email Alicia at alicia at righttoknow.us. I will put her email link in the show description if that's something that sounds of interest to you. All right, and today we are going to go ahead and get into our NPE story. And today I am speaking with Sarah M. Hi, Sarah. Hi. So nice to talk to you today. So nice to talk to you and everybody out there. (laughs) Thank you for being willing to share your story today. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, should we get into it? Would you like to start with your family of origin and kind of give us some background information and we will take it from there? Okay. I, I do want to start just by thanking you, Lily. This has been such a lifeline for me, this podcast, um, ever since I found out I was an NPE back in August of 2020. I'd be interested to know how many of us NPEs actually found out during COVID because it just seems like such a strange time anyway, <laughs> and things are just coming out of the woodwork. And um, that was something that happened to me. But when I found... Um, your podcast and listen to the other stories. It just helps so much to know that what I was experiencing was um, normal, that there was going to be light at the end of the tunnel. um, And that this was a whole journey that I was um, going through. Um, In some ways it's been very exciting and in other ways, this, you know, disarming. Um, But uh, in general, um, this podcast um, every week I've listened to it and um, just wanted to thank you and, and everybody else who's come before me. And hopefully I can pay it forward. Oh, thank you, Sarah. My parents um, met in 1950. And um, I'm going to reference a number of sort of what I call family lore because it seems like in my family, there are a lot of stories that were told over and over again to the point where um, you know, it was just sort of a given or it, it was accepted as being the truth. And of course, we find out later on that what we accept to be the truth isn't always the truth. Um, but in this case, the family lore um, was that my father was in college. He was at Yale and my mother was at Smith in 1950. My dad uh, came to Northampton with a couple of other friends in a car. I think one of the friends had a date and my dad didn't. And so they show up at the dorm and my mother, who was quite beautiful, was sitting uh, in the entry area. She was on something called Bells, which was where the um, one student would call upstairs and tell the other girls that their date was there. Um, Because, of course, gentlemen were not allowed upstairs in the dorms at Smith College in 1950. So my dad shows up with these two other friends of his, and he says, you know, what are my chances of finding a date um, tonight? My mother said, you have no chances. All the the girls are taken at this point. And my dad looked at my mother and said, what about you? (laughs) And my mom was somehow able to manage to find somebody to take her spot. And she went out with my dad 
uh, and the rest is history. Um, in 1952, they were married. Subsequently, they had three children evenly spaced. So um, my oldest brother was born, I think, in 1953, and then my sister in 55, and then my other brother in 58. I was born in 1967. So there was a big gap between my siblings and myself uh, at the time. That would mean that my oldest brother was 13 when I was born, my sister was 11, and my other brother was nine and a half. And here's another piece of family lore, which is that uh, I was uh, almost born at home um, because I was a planned C-section back then if one child was a C-section, everybody else was as well. And so because I was planned, they set the date of my birth as two weeks before my due date. So the date that I was to have been born during the C-section was May 3rd, and yet I started wanting to come out on May 1st. And my mother thought it was indigestion and my dad said, no, I think we really should go into the city and, um, and make sure that this isn't actually contractions. And sure enough, it was. And I was born at 3 a.m. in an emergency C-section. So I grew up in a very strong family unit, uh, especially on my father's side. My grandfather was sort of the patriarch of the family. He had four siblings and they always had big Thanksgiving gatherings. Um, and uh, my dad had one brother with four daughters. And then in my family it was boy, girl, boy, girl. We were very close. I um, knew I was loved. We grew up in a suburb of New York. Uh, my father worked on Wall Street in a firm that um, my grandfather was at, you know, big house with a pool and a cook and a nanny and people taking care of me. I went to private school. I had everything I could possibly need, you know, classes, uh, ballet lessons, um, didn't lack for anything in terms of material, um, clothes, toys, etc., the only thing that I really lacked was a feeling of belonging. Um, I thought that before my NP discovery, I thought that um, the age gap was a big factor in why I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, my oldest brother went to boarding school when I was one. My sister followed when I was three. And then the brother that I was closest to, who really, I would say, is is that family member that that intervened on my behalf so many times, you know, really protected me as, as a child, actually all my life, um, went to boarding school when I was six. And after that, I was pretty much an only child except on vacations and holidays. And I always look forward to being with the entire family. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I've always loved being in a household of a lot of people. Um, and I find that Holidays now with fewer and fewer family members can often be sort of sad for me. So um, I felt 
very loved though by by my siblings and um they paid a lot of attention to me whenever they were home and i guess the other thing that i sort of thought was interesting about my childhood and i didn't make a connection until later but i had read danny shapiro's book inheritance before i found out i was an np and then i read it again afterwards and when i read it i had this big sort of aha moment and I'm just going to read like a, a couple of sentences that that really struck me. Um, she says, um, "All I knew was what I felt, which was a constant interior ache that propelled me." And she says that when she was a child, she used to snoop, <laughs> and she would say, "I would walk into each of their offices and rifle through, through the papers covering their desks, careful to leave no trace." It wasn't anything specific I was after. It was just a sense that something was out of reach. And if I could only find it, this terrible feeling of longing would go away. I'd have my answer to a question I couldn't even formulate. And I really felt this. My, my siblings would go off to boarding school and I would go into their rooms and I would go through the drawers of their desks and look at photograph albums that my mother put together for them and I would go up into my mother's office where she kept shoe boxes of photographs and report cards, not just for me, but for my siblings. And I could spend hours just looking at these items. And I wasn't, I think, really sure why, um, just that I wanted to be a part of something. And I thought probably deep down there was some information that I would gather there. Um, but I just thought that was so striking when when Danny put her finger on something that um, I just never really understood. So when I was um, a teenager, I also went to boarding school. And I had a friend who would, had a similar age gap um, that I had. And I remember um, she once actually said to me, are, are you by any chance an accident? Because she was, in fact, um, you know, her uh, an unexpected pregnancy, shall we say, and it had never occurred to me to even think that that was a case. But of course, it was a very logical assumption, <laughs> and so I did ask my mother that very question, and she repeated a story, which once again is part of family lore, which was um, that she really, really wanted me. She realized that. Uh, since all my siblings were going to go to boarding school, that by the time my younger brother, he's not younger than I am, but the youngest of the three siblings uh, went off to boarding school, she'd be in her early 40s. And so she would be dealing with empty nest syndrome at a pretty young age. And so apparently she campaigned with my dad for many years in order to get him to agree to have a fourth child, um, which eventually he agreed to. I know they had to add on to the house when I was born so that there would be more room. And then my mother said she wanted a fifth child and my father didn't want to do that. And she said, well, there's plenty of room in the house. And he said, well, yeah, there'd be plenty of room because I'd move out. <laughs> and then uh, a couple of years after that, I guess when they sort of noticed how lonely I was, um, my father said that they had made a mistake not having another child after me. And my mother said, no, we did not make a mistake. You made a mistake. 
Um, so she made it very clear that I, I was a planned pregnancy, um, which I think is kind of interesting now in, in uh, light of what I discovered about myself. Um, my father uh, was a big figure in our house. Um, he was trained to be an engineer, but he ended up on Wall Street working for his father. And um, I think he would have been happier had he had he left there and and done something in the engineering field. But um, there was definitely some frustration that he must have felt, um, and whether that caused I think it caused some stress in my parents' marriage. Um, certainly, my father was really tough on my brothers in terms of academic success and. Um, he was athletic. My, my brothers were athletic. Um, and, uh, what was interesting was my sister was as well, but I was not, and I wasn't strong academically. And, um, I always felt in some ways inadequate in that way. I don't think anybody in my family recognized that I might be, you know, that I might have a learning disability. I mean, as it turns out, I now know I have ADD. Um, I <laughs> looked at my daughter's uh, report cards and have compared them to my report cards when I was her age. And there's very similar question about, we don't know where Sarah goes uh, in class, but sometimes she's not quite here. And um, my daughter had the same um diagnosis uh of ADD and it makes a lot of sense now but but nobody recognized it in my household growing up because I don't think anybody had experienced it I should also say that my parents had a had a good marriage from our perspective I mean they never argued uh in front of us I think most of their disagreements if there were any were settled behind doors they they were very private that way um, they had a lot of friends um, they entertained a lot they went out um, either to dinner parties or out to dinner with friends um, every Friday and Saturday night um, and um, from you know, even now people look at their marriage and think it was, um, a very good one. And I believe it was a very good one. I mean, I, I know that my mother loved my father, um, was very devoted to him. They, um, were married for over 60 years until my father died, um, in 2018. Um, so, in terms of of where I was in this whole story, my siblings were getting they were going to college, they were getting married, they were having children. I definitely lagged behind them. Um and when I got married, I was 36 and my my siblings had already been married for many years and my nieces and nephews were already teenagers. I had my daughter in 2004. And my son in 2006, and then I was divorced in 2013. Um, and around actually, uh, my siblings and I continued to um, be very close. We actually bought property together up in Maine so that our families could be together 
um, at least for 10 days every summer. And we'd been doing that since 1992. It's been quite a while. The brother that I um, always felt closest to, <laughs> who always was the one in between my my um, parents and, and myself, um, began to, we, we both became, became a little bit suspicious of um, our mother and thinking that she was keeping secrets from us. And, and it, was, it was kind of with humor. It wasn't ever sort of a bitterness, but my mother would do these things, which we would think, why? Like, for instance, um, we discovered uh, when my mom was like in her 60s that she had been lying about her age. And, and it, we're not talking like five years. We're talking one year. Um, so when she turned 50, in fact, she was turning 51. There was like this big party for my mother when she had her 50th. And, you know, looking back, you think, how could she have felt comfortable having everybody celebrate her 50th birthday, knowing that it was actually her 51st? I mean, that seems just kind of weird. And we found this out because my sister got a hold of our mother's um, birth certificate, and it said 1929 instead of 1930. And when we asked our mother why, she said, well, I guess all the other girls were much younger than their husbands. And so, she, you know, she shaved a year off. And even our father was confused. Like he didn't even know that she had been lying about her age. It was just very strange. And then she'd also um, said that she, she'd always told me that she went to Smith, which I knew she went to Smith, but I assumed that she had been there all four years. And as it turned out, she'd actually only been there for two years. And in fact, when she was a freshman at a different college, she flunked out because she was just having too much fun going to, I guess, fraternity parties or something. So, you know, when you when you catch your parent in some of these little lies, you start wondering, well, what else is she hiding from us? And we, every so often, my brother and I, we kind of look at each other, you know, at, at, whether it was a dinner with mom and she'd say something and we'd sort of give each other knowing looks like there's got to be something she's keeping from us. It just seemed very strange. Our father died in 2018, and after he died, um, well, I should actually say my father and I were were very close. Um, he uh, ended up; I ended up working with him um, for a little bit, and um, he, I think, of all of us, had um, the best relationship with me. Probably because I was much younger; I was a girl; the expectations were different. Um, and I spent more time with him. Uh, and I can also say that he ended up with dementia and, um, when he died, I was the only family member that was, um, in, in the room with him holding his hand. And that's not because, uh, nobody else wanted to be there. It was, um, it was in the middle of the night. My mother was sleeping in the other room and we knew he was dying. And, um, I didn't want her to have to go through watching him die. And there were two other sort of nurses there and I sat with him and um, I wouldn't have given that up any at, at all. I mean, I remember playing Frank Sinatra for my father um, while he was dying and talking to him. And, and um, it was one of the most uh, moving uh, moments in my life. After he died, and I don't think there was any correlation, but um, I did take the ancestry DNA test. 
I did it because my sister-in-law had done it and she was talking about just how fascinating it was. And I didn't, I guess I deep down wondered if there was something that I didn't quite expect or wouldn't expect because um, I am Jewish. My father's side of the family, and I guess I should say my um, birth certificate father, as we know, it's, um, but my birth certificate father's side of the family um, is from Germany, German Jewish, and um, my mother's is Lithuanian Jewish. So I pretty much expected it was going to be a given what I was going to see. Although, you know, there was, there were, there were things about me, whether it was the coloring, my, you know, I have very fair skin, I'm, I'm tall. Um, I, I don't know, but there were oftentimes people would say, you know, where are you from? And they'd be surprised when I told them um, about my family background. Um, so when it came back, it was interesting because I got 50% of this was um, Eastern European Jewish. And then the other 50% was English, Scottish, French. And my first reaction was, oh, I guess this is the great diaspora. You know, I mean, you know, Jews don't come from one spot. And and I guess if you go far enough back, you're going to find out interesting things. (laughs) And then I called my sister up um, and she said, oh, I guess that explains why I love Celtic music so much. (laughs) It just seemed like, oh, yeah, I guess that explains it. So I really didn't think much of it, except it was sort of an interesting little, I don't know, piece of information. Um, And, you know, nobody else in my family had done it. So it didn't surprise me that I didn't see anybody that I recognized. Um, and then I would say like about a year after that, so this is now 2019, a name showed up as a first cousin of mine, a man. And it was weird because I, as I said, my father had one brother, my mother had no siblings. So I only had four first cousins. And here was this man that had popped up as a first cousin. And my first thought was, well, maybe this is like a, um, my uncle had an affair and this is a child, a love child. That was my assumption. Why I didn't sort of follow up. It's interesting because I recognized the last name. Um, and yet I did not, I guess a part of me, just whether I wasn't willing or ready to sort of look into it, I don't know, but I didn't look into it. Um, until a year later when, um, this is now August, 2020. And I was, um, you know, this was middle of COVID and I was up in Maine at our place on the lake with my mother, my two children. And because it was COVID, it was a very small group of us. So, um, my, the brother, the closest in age to me was not there with his wife or his, his daughters. Um, my sister was only there with one son and, um, my oldest brother was just there by himself without his children. So I'm talking to my sister who's sort of the family genealogist and it came up, I don't know whether it had something to do with genetics and how fascinating it is. And I said, Hey, you know, I, I saw this on my, um, you know, ancestry DNA and uh, this person, um, do you know how, who this person is, how he could show up on our, you know, DNA. 
And my sister said, no, I don't know. Maybe you should write him and find out what he knows. So I did. I wrote him a you know message and I said, um, I don't know how you showed up on here, but do you recognize? And I gave a couple of last na- you know, my last name and my mother's um, maiden name and said, did any of those ring a bell? And um, kind of forgot about it until the next day I got a response from him, which was kind of surprising. Um, and he said, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, how this is possible, but I will tell you um, that, you know, this is my father's name and my uncle's name is, you know, blank. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden I, I, I was uh, like, I recognized the name of his uncle as the name of my father's, like one of my father's closest friends from college who lived down the street from us and his three boys um i grew up with um and it's unbelievable how these things happen and i feel like i'm so lucky that i found out the way i found out because my entire family was with me when i found out so if you imagine we're all sitting on the porch and uh i had been talking to the brother that was closest in age to me and, and shared this information with him. And he was equally like perplexed and we're, these things are running through our minds. And then somebody shows up trying to raise money for the lake. And meanwhile, all I want to do is have this person leave because I have a lot of questions on my mind. They're just kind of like running through my head. And this person, you know, you can imagine this stress is just increasing as we go on. Finally, she leaves. And I said to my mother, um, you know, this name showed up in my DNA. Um, and he says um, that he is um, the, ne- the, the um, nephew of uncle. And I, we, I, I, we were so close to this family that I called him uncle and his wife aunt. I mean, that's close. And, um, I'm trying to sort of figure this out. And I jokingly said, is there something you need to tell me to my mother who was at the time, I think she was, would have been 90. Um, and if you can imagine I'm sitting on the porch, my mother's sitting in the chair opposite me. The brother that I'm closest to is sitting right next to me. My sister's opposite um, sitting next to my mother. And, um, I'm the, the, just the wheels are spinning in my head. And I'm thinking this guy is the nephew of the family friend. Then that would mean that family friend is my dot, dot, dot. And then I, I was like, mom, is there something you need to tell me? Now I'm thinking if she doesn't tell me the truth, I'm going to just explode. And my brother, who was sitting next to me, is looking at me. He said it was almost like cinematic because he was looking at me and he was about to jump in and say, just cut it. Like, don't, what are you doing? Like, like, stop this. And I'm looking at my mother, who I can tell is processing this and, and is like, like on the verge of saying something. And I am so determined to get this answer. I said, mom. Is there something you need to tell me? 
And she paused. And then she said, well, there is something I need to tell you. And I was like, my, just my, my heart just stopped. And she said, there was this one time and I looked at my brother and I said, holy fucking shit. (laughs) Sorry. Those of you, I mean, I hope I didn't offend anybody by saying that, but, but really like my life had just been blown apart. And from then on, anytime we refer to this moment, we call it HFS because that's the only way we can describe it. As a matter of fact, my sister gave me a pillow for my birthday that has HFS embroidered on it. It's absolutely hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) And my brother, who was equally blown away, he just thought, I can't believe, I mean, none of us could believe this. I mean, there had just been such a lore about like how our parents were these happily married. And, and all I kept on thinking was, I can't believe this. And we were like, what, what happened? And, you know, our mother said, well, um, you know, I was mad and, um, you know, he was mad at his wife. I was mad at your father. And which doesn't really mad, like what mad about what? I mean, she wouldn't really give any information and then she said, um, I didn't know. She said, you know, he was sterile. And here's the thing. So, in fact, he had, they'd adopted three sons. So they were not his biological children. Um, and I had heard for a long time that um, the man that I will now refer to as my, my uh, bio dad, um, yes, I heard that he was sterile. Um, obviously he wasn't. Um, but then my mother said, she said, if I had known I would have had an abortion, which I know why she said it. She said it because she was trying to make a point, right? I mean, the point was this would have been so devastating that I I wouldn't have been able to have, have you. But of course, the idea of being told by your mother that that was even, you know, that it just, it's so unfathomable, right? I mean, it, it, and, and so unkind in a way. I mean, I know she didn't mean it that way, but it, it, it was so awful here that she had repeated it another time to my, my brother. And he said, I don't ever want to hear you say that again. It was, it was really wild in the sense that, um, I had known um, my bio dad, my entire life. I remembered him very fondly. Um, he um, was uh, funny. He definitely enjoyed spending time with his children. Um, he used to bring the boys over every weekend in the summertime to go swimming in or a pool. And he did a lot. He took a lot of video, like movies of us um, as children playing in the pool um, or me dancing, um, outside the pool. I remember one time he came to, um, to stay over with us. He was, um, living, uh, in Denver at the time. And he, um, came to our house and, uh, was playing on the piano, sort of like a jazz riff. And we were both sort of goofing around on the piano and making up stuff and just having a really good time. I mean, he was, he was a lot of fun and he made a really good steak. <laughs> that was the other thing I remember about him. Um, 
And those three boys um, who were um, the oldest was my age. And then the other two were a couple of years younger were like brothers to me. I used to go over to their house because they lived literally within walking distance. And we used to play together. Um, one time we dug up, um, a big ditch in the backyard, um, (laughs) which was, we were sort of pretending we were minors and, um, you know, I don't know, like they, they let us get away with it, even though it made a big mess as you can imagine, but all the, all the neighborhood kids used to go over to their house and, and we would get into, um, little projects like that. Um, he was, um, I'm told he was extremely smart. He was a lawyer, but he was also goofy, which I think in some ways I'm, I get my temperament, I think from him. I mean, I went online, we're still up in Maine and I went online and I pulled up his college photograph and, you know, I remembered him as a, as an older man, um, and here I saw this picture of him young, and it was almost identical to me. I mean, that was the other thing. Like, I um, had always felt like physically I didn't belong in the family. I was much taller than my mother and my sister. Um, I was, you know, thin. I had a very long jaw, which I, you know, or chin, which I used to feel kind of embarrassed by. And, um, thick eyebrows. Um, and I looked at this picture of my, um, bio dad who, by the way, was dashing. And I compared it to my college, um, photograph and it was like, there was no question in anybody's mind that this wasn't real. Um, and I remember telling my nieces about this and they were very skeptical until they, they saw these two photos juxtaposed. And it was like, yeah, and I, I know that other NPEs have talked about how it feels to not look like anybody in your family. Um, I know that when my children were born and my daughter looked just like me and my son looked like my brother, and I thought, okay, well, this proves it that I actually do belong in this family. And that's so profound. I mean, that's that feeling of just not you know, knowing where you come from and then to see a photograph of, of my biological father and, and just see myself. Um, it it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. My mother, uh, is a very private person. Um, and of course she didn't want anybody to know this. Uh, we spent, I guess we were up there in Maine for two more days and we would have some conversations, although she was really tight lipped like would not tell me, um, when it happened, how it happened, (laughs) um, really why it happened. Um, she, um, said that she didn't want us to tell or me to tell the three boys that were his, you know, sons. Um, especially because the middle, the middle son, the middle, um, had, um, he was, my mother's, um, godson. And she was particularly protective about him, um, thinking he's a very fragile person. And if you tell him this information, it's going to be devastating for him, which I, you know, of course one would think, wait a minute, you're worried more about how it feels for somebody else's child. When meanwhile, I'm the one that's 
dealing with all of this and and wanting answers and you know the reason why I wanted to tell those boys is because frankly I wanted to start to meet my biological father's family and the only way I could do that was if I told those three boys um I also really really wanted to tell my biological father um that I knew um and this was covid um, unfortunately he was in a nursing home in Arizona and, um, had, um, dementia as well. And so even if I had wanted to see him, which I wasn't able to because of COVID, I wasn't even sure he would know who I was at this point, but there was always that lingering thought, like, should I try? Should I, you know, it was that for, for a year until he died, I was just sort of feeling really, um, unsettled, um, that I, that I couldn't talk to him. And I, I think like all I wanted to really know was, did he know? So my mother said, you know, I don't, I don't want any of that family. know. certainly, um, there was my biological fathers had one brother, um, who was still alive. I really wanted to talk to him. My mother didn't want me to talk to him. I would say, one of those, the the most beautiful thing I should back up and say that that did happen um, was the way my siblings rallied around me. Um, and of course, in my mind, I'm thinking they went from being my full siblings to half siblings. And um, the brother closest to me said, you know what, without even prompting, he just took me aside a few you know, hours after this revelation and said, this only makes me love you all the more. You're much, you're, you're all the more special to me because of this. And, you know, that, that meant the world to me. Um, and I know that there's so many NPEs that have not had such positive responses. Um, and I, I really do feel blessed that I have the siblings that I have. I mean, they all said this isn't this does not make you half anything um and they um have been nothing but supportive and i have to say my mother i just think she's limited in this way i don't i i mean i i will you know talk about the feelings that, that i felt um through this but <clears throat> um i never judged her for having an affair you know, every especially since I had had a divorce, um, it wasn't because of an affair. But I understand that marriages aren't always perfect, and um, things happen. Um, it was more to me. The questions were, um, you know, did she really see me as a child? Um, and by that I mean, um, I struggled in, in, in certain ways. Um, you know, whether it was academically or socially and, you know, I looked different and, um, they were, those differences that I felt were never addressed. And one has to wonder, is that because they just didn't fit in with the whole scheme of the story? Um, you know, no children of ours have learning disabilities. Um, you know, I mean, so therefore we're not going to address them. And one has to wonder, um, as a parent, I think to myself, I look at my kids, you know, my daughter and my son, 
And um, oftentimes um, I'll wonder like, oh, you know, that's so-and-so smile. Or um, I wonder if they got this talent from, you know, their dad's side of the family or, you know, oh, I, you know, experienced this when I was this age and look, you know, my daughter's experiencing it too. Like, I don't understand how my mother could have looked at me and not wondered, is this really, um, you know, my husband's daughter or could she possibly belong to, you know, someone else (laughs) who she obviously had sex with? And furthermore, I think to myself, how is it possible that she maintained a friendship with them? And they, like my mother and father traveled with my bio dad and his wife. And they, you know, my mother considered his wife like one of her closest friends. I don't, I, that to me, I just think how, how could one compartmentalize in that way? Um, so I, I guess there's, you know, real, um, you know, real anger about that. Um, I um, am lucky also because I never had to deal with the issue of my father. My father is my father. There's no question about it. And he's the man who raised me. They're his values that I carry with me. Um, I, I love him and I miss him. And there's no confusion there. And I'm so fortunate that I never had to, to deal with this issue when he was alive. Even so, it, it, it is so confusing in so many ways. And, and there are so many times when my siblings and I will start to sort of deconstruct <laughs> what went on and just think, how is this possible? Um, and, and this information has just accumulated as I've learned more things. So, um, you know, for a while I was um, sort of in a lockdown in terms of not being able to. Um, talk to anybody on the other side of the family. Um, I went online and I did a little sleuthing looking at sort of, um, uh, other people's families, trees and, and found out a bit about my, um, biological family. I mean, it's so bizarre to be raised, um, with one narrative in terms of, you know, um, when my family came over to now, uh, realizing that on my um, biological family side, we go all the way back to coming to America in the 1600s. I mean, I could be a daughter of the American Revolution. I mean, it's crazy to me, like the, the, just the breadth of history um, that, that they um, have, have in their family tree. My sister, I think, talked to my mother on my behalf a few times because it was, I don't know, it's very hard for her to, to talk to me about this, but my sister, uh, maybe a month after this revelation, um, asked her if she thought um, that um, my biological fa- father knew. And my mother told her that uh, when she was pregnant, he asked her if um, I could have been his or was his. And my mother said, don't be ridiculous, you're sterile. Um. <laughs> And then I asked her, well, how is it possible that you remain friends with them when this was happening? And my mother 
um, or, or remain friends with them, regardless of whether or not I was his, but just having an affair um, and then continuing on as if nothing happened. My uh, mother said, well, after you know, I got pregnant with you, he ended up relocating to um, Kentucky. And they did. They moved to Kentucky for two years. Um, and it was only when they came back two years later that they moved to their first house down the street. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, it's odd that he decided to live down the street from us, especially since then about 10 years later, they moved to Denver for work. And then when they came back, they moved to another house down the street from us. And I said to mom, don't you think that's kind of strange? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she, she sort of said, no, I you know. But, but in thinking about it, I mean, that, that's got to say something, right? Yeah. And, and also, he knew what he looked like when he was a child, right? So yeah. if he looked at me, he must have seen me. I think. Um, so uh, about six months went by and then I finally was sort of given the thumbs up or not. I don't know whether it was, it was more my, my brother who was kind of monitoring that side of the family. Um, Cause he was sort of helping my mother deal with um, the third son. Um, he, he just um, sort of needed some help financially. And, um, my brother sort of was the one to sort of intervene and, and help out, um, and be the contact. And, um, so I really wanted to talk to the oldest son and, um, my brother was like, well, I, I don't see what the harm would be in, in talking to him. So I called him up and, um, his response, first response, which I, w- I was kind of surprised by was that son of a bitch, <laughs> which was not quite what I expected because in fact, I had always um, thought of him as a very loving person, but um, this son had had a very, I guess, complicated relationship with his father. He sort of, I, I you know, t- from his point of view, um, his father might've had other affairs. He thought he was a narcissist. Um, you know, I don't know hundred percent sure hundred percent whether I believe everything he said, but, um, I, I did sort of feel like, you know, there's more to this story and, um, you know, he said, and this is what's so interesting is he said to me that he had asked his mother why they were adopted and they, and she said to him, well, I, I was, I had two miscarriages And, um, and I told your father that I wasn't going to try anymore. (laughs) I was like two miscarriages. Well, obviously he wasn't sterile if she had had miscarriages. Right. Yeah. And so, so I said this to my mother. I said, did you realize that Aunt Holly had two miscarriages? And she said, no, 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 that would, that didn't happen. I would have known that if that had happened. Um, well, you know, obviously somebody isn't telling the truth, right? Um, and the question is, did my mother know that, uh, you know, he could have children? Maybe he, maybe she didn't because she, she apparently told him, don't be ridiculous, you're sterile. So um, at one point I had this whole plot in my head because I'm a novelist and I was thinking, well, maybe 
My mother was mad at my father because she wanted to have another child. He wouldn't have another child. He was upset because she wouldn't allow him to have any children. And so, or I'm sorry, his wife was upset. He was upset at his wife because she wouldn't have any more children. And so they, my mom and, and my bio dad sort of like hatched this plan to get her pregnant. And um, therefore he would have a biological child and my mother would have the child she wanted. I mean, that's very far-fetched and, you know, maybe someday I'll write a novel with that plot, but, but it does start, one starts wondering about these things. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that's kind of a, um, it was, that was strange. Um, obviously it took a while maybe another four months, we, we swore, um, you know, the oldest son to secrecy. Um, and about four months later, he was like, this is really killing me. Like, I can't keep this secret for you know much longer. I mean, I, I find myself when I'm talking to my brother, um, you know, I, I sometimes say things that almost like I'm going to tell the truth and I, and, and you've just got to tell him. And I felt like it was really time. And I wasn't concerned. I mean, I, I knew that they were going to respond positively to this. I mean, the oldest brother said, you're one of us. I mean, you know, you now you really are my sister. And so we told the middle son um, his first question, which was so endearing, you know, was to ask about how mom was doing. She wasn't, he wasn't in the least bit appalled that this had happened or, you know, not nothing that my mother might've been worried about. He was just concerned about her. Um, and he said, you know, I always sort of thought you reminded me of him a little bit. You know, your smile was kind of like him and every once in a while, maybe I get a flash of that. Or, you know, we would all go out to dinner as a family and he seemed to hang on your every word. <laughs> and then when we told the youngest brother, he said, "Oh, absolutely. I'm, you know, that that makes perfect sense." And he said, "You know, Dad and I used to walk by your house all the time. Like we would take walks and we would walk like all the way to your house, not go in, just just stand up there for a few minutes and then turn around and walk back." Once the all the boys knew, then it was a matter of reaching out to my biological family. Because of course they were adopted, they didn't have all the information that I really wanted, um, whether it was medical information or any sort of um, just what did my grandparents look like and and who were they and what you know I, I just wanted more information. The middle son contacted. He said to me, "You really got to you know talk to my cousins," and he contacted um, his favorite cousin, and um, he called me back and she's, she was a few years younger than I was, but he called me back and he said, she's dying to talk to you. She's so excited. And, um, so I had my first phone call with that side of the family. I was so nervous <laughs> and she responded to me the way I know I would have responded to me <laughs> in the sense that she was so welcoming and warm and excited and just you know, equally blown away. But, um, when she saw my picture and then she said, I, you know, I want to share this with, you know, my siblings. And she set up a, um, sort of family text and said, you know, this is our, our cousin, our only cousin, because her father 
just had the one brother. Her, his, her mother had no siblings. So once again, I was like their only first cousin. And, um, you know, they, one of them looked at my picture and said, you're one of us. You look just like us. Just, you know, just to know that, um, I was accepted and, um, that there, there was no resentment. Um, there was just a lot of curiosity. Um, unfortunately I wasn't able to talk to, um, my bio dad ever. So this was like the closest, um, I had, they ended up telling their father about me and he was excited. Um, he's the family sort of genealogist. And, um, I, you know, had a phone call with him and he just downloaded so much interesting information, um, about, about that side of the family for Christmas last year. Um, my, um, my bio dad's son, the middle one, um, sent me a box of photographs, just pictures of my biological father when he was a young man and, um, some letters that he had written and, um, pictures of my grandparents and my great grandparents. And it was like the best Christmas present I'd ever received. Um, just to have that piece of, of family history. You know, I, I do think that I have just been so fortunate. Um, I struggle with, um, sort of reconciling or, or I don't want to say forgiving. I, I just, it's, it's hard for me to understand because I'm such an open person. I would willingly give more information about myself if it weren't for the fact that, that my um, mother in particular just really is so private. Um, but I sort of feel like this is, this is my truth. This is who I am. I can't keep this bottled up inside. It's not fair. I am not, I'm not the, the source of somebody's shame and I shouldn't be. Um, and I, I am so grateful that, um, at the, the, biological side of my family, um, has welcomed me. Um, and that my family that I was raised with and consider my, you know, my center loves me all the same, if not more. Um, but there are parts of me that still have questions and I do get upset that I can't get the answers I want. I mean, I, I wonder what was going on in that marriage that my mother strayed. And it's not just me. I mean, my siblings are the ones that grew up while this was all going on. And the fact that my mother made certain choices that affected them, um, I, I think to myself, um, I was raised in the right family, in the, and, and I'm so glad that my father is my father. Um, I, um, I'm sure that my mother, um, was nervous about, you know, um, just feeling secure. Um, what would have happened if the truth had come out? Uh, she would have had, you know, four children and, um, you know, no husband potentially. I think about, um, at the same time, what would have happened if my father had found out while I was older? And, um, 
you know, the only thing that I, I can imagine is my father saying, it doesn't matter. You're my child. I raised you and I love you. And, you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody else. But what did my biological father know? And can you imagine if he did know? And if he watched me grow up and never said a thing, which is in fact what, what happened, right? He was at my wedding. <laughs> um, he was, you know, there for my entire life. I mean, I, I always had, he was a constant. And to stand at the side and just not be able to acknowledge me, that must have, especially since he wanted a biological child so desperately, um, I, I, it's unbelievable to me that he was able to do that. And I wish I had been able to sort of tell him, not only am I your child, but you have grandchildren. Um, I don't know. This missed opportunity. My um, mother is 92 and um, sadly she has cancer. Um, and um, I do feel like time is running out um, and I want to make the most of the time that I have with her. Um, and I am sort of looking or trying to figure out what is the question I really want to know the answer to. Um, and, you know, maybe it's worth it. Maybe it's not. Um, but, um, it's, it's been quite a journey. Um, and as I said, I think everything fell into place the way it was supposed to. I mean, I found out at a time when my father wasn't around anymore. I found out surrounded by my siblings and my mother was still um, able to confirm um, what I had discovered. So there was not any question in that regard. Um, and um, I was able to tell my story to um, my biological side of the family. And um, I'm hoping that um, I'll be able to meet them soon. I'd like to go visit them. They're in, you know, in California, but that's something that I'm very much looking forward to doing. You know, I just, I'm very, very lucky. And not only that, I had the biggest questions about myself answered. Um, and it so makes sense now. I mean, that's, that's the part that um, I think means the most is that um, I do belong somewhere. And um, now it's just a matter of, of continuing on and um, trying to um, forgive and appreciate who I am all the more. Your siblings, both your, you know, assumed original siblings and your new siblings, all I'm I'm so happy for you. They are also supportive in this. And your new biological paternal family, how sweet that they started this chat and you are that must be very exciting for them. They have this first cousin. 
I can only imagine getting that box of photographs from the bio, you know, from the paternal yeah. family. That absolutely for so many MPs here listening would be like, yes, that would be the best Christmas present. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was just the right thing at the right time, especially since I was going through all that stuff as a child, right? Mm -hmm. Like when you think about once again, that snooping and looking for things and then to finally get my own box of stuff Mm -hmm. that I was given permission to snoop through. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Your biological, your bio dad sounds like he was absolutely very curious about you. Yeah. What you've noticed and how he even asked your mom when she was pregnant and then the living near you and moving within the vicinity of you multiple times in your life, Mm -hmm. being curious about you, walking with his son to your house. Yes, yes, yes. Don't you? It was definitely somewhere in his mind, whether or not it was ever confirmed to him. Um, I can only imagine how hard that would be to think you might have a biological child of your own. And and kind of be gaslit and told it wasn't yours. That would be so confusing. Right. Well, and also, I, I have to say, though, when she said, you're sterile, and he knows he's not. Ah, that's true. I think to myself, it wasn't really gaslit. I, I, I you know, like, you know, you wonder... I mean, there's so many questions, right? Like, yeah. if he knew he wasn't sterile, then why were they having unprotected sex, blah, blah, but whatever, yeah. you know, he knew that he, he wasn't knew. sterile. And You're right. He knew. At me, watching me grow up, and he knows what he looked like at my age, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, even just saying this, it, it just makes me think he must have known and how heartbreaking in in a lot of ways it would be to not be able to acknowledge that parentage because obviously it would have affected a whole other family right the picture you found of him when he was younger you, mm-hmm. you said the college picture and how it looked it was your face it mm-hmm. it looked like you he had to have seen that yeah in yeah. you and he was probably looking for it right i mean when we're yeah. looking just like you look at your own children and you say, oh, I know where that that smile came from, right? Um, it's just, uh, you, you just know. I always find that so hard is, you know, here we are trying to be compassionate to our biological parents and understand, okay, this would break up a family. This would break up a marriage. Mm-hmm. He had shame. She had shame. They had an affair, but then you're the one that has to carry that. You're the one that has to continue with their privacy, their secrecy, and you're dealing with the consequences of it. Right. And then it comes out in wacky ways, right? Like going on a podcast and basically telling everybody what happened. <laughs> right. But, but like, it, yeah, you keep it bottled up inside and and meanwhile, who goes around with like an atom bomb that's detonated inside you and then keeps it in? That to me is so unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and it, you're right. It's not my shame. And frankly, I don't even think of it as my mother's shame. I mean, I know it was a different era, right? We're talking 1966, whenever I was conceived. And, and yeah, that was a different time. Um, but 
you know, I think that what's more damaging in general about that kind of keeping things to yourself is that you create this false narrative that your children are trying to live up to, like the expectation that nobody makes mistakes in life. And therefore, if if you, my child, make a mistake, that's all on you. Um, it just, you know, that that is what I think is so unfair. And that's what gets me angry. I guess that's the only thing that I sort of hang on to is that there wasn't that that sense of what you're doing is impacting your child. I guess, I mean, I do believe that my mother, at least when she was pregnant with me and I was, you know, that blobby stage where you don't look like anybody <laughs> that she didn't think um, that I was, um, you know, I, that I wasn't anything but my, my father's. But um, as I get older and I am like getting taller <laughs> and, you know, um, uh, just looking so much differently than everybody else. Wouldn't that be a sort of like a red flag? I don't know. Maybe, or maybe she's just so compartmentalized that she forgot about it. I, yeah. I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm learning a lot about compartmentalizing and what our brains do to protect ourselves and, and, and what stories we tell ourselves to believe, but that's, that could be, yeah, it's, <laughs> It's hard to imagine what another person's thinking. Oh, and also the other thing that I meant to sort of tie up was, you know, when she said that I was born, um, that I was early, I in fact wasn't early, right? I They scheduled me two weeks before my quote unquote due date. And um, the funny thing is, is that I must have been on time and my mother kept a like a date book because I'm a novelist and I was actually working on a novel um, set in this era, even before I knew my whole NPE story, I asked my mother if I could have these date books. And so I actually had them and I was able to look and see where she was when I was potentially conceived and the time <laughs> when I was supposedly conceived, my father wasn't even anywhere near. My father was like in another state. <laughs> mm. Okay. So did she like, you wonder, like, did she fudge the date of my conception? Did she just like all these little things you start wondering, like what was really going on? Yeah. Was, you know, were they really having a one-time shot at an affair? Or was this like a little bit longer? Yeah. And it shouldn't matter. I, I don't know why it matters, but it, it matters to me. Yes. So many questions. Yeah. Sarah, if people want to get in touch with you, could they do that? Yes. Yeah. I have a um, Gmail account set up that is um, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, N-P-E-6-7. So that's all one word, Sarah, N-P-E-6-7 at Gmail. Thank you, Sarah, for being willing to accept any emails. And thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. 
Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Thank you.